Hey everybody, Matt Johnson here, the creator and director of New Frequency, welcoming you to another episode of our radio drama podcast. Tonight on the program, we have episode one of a really cool detective series called The Maggie Dunn Mysteries. Joining me to introduce this one, the pilot, is the writer and creator of it, James Napoli. There he is one more time. Hey, good evening, everybody. I always get you here. I'm so lucky. <laughs> yes, and the money you're paying me. My oh, God. wow. It's flowing. Flowing, everyone, if you can see it. Hey, let's talk a little bit about this piece. Talk about uh, Maggie Dunn, the character, a detective. Who, who is she? Who, who is Maggie Dunn? Well, you know, they say that uh, authors often write themselves. And interestingly enough, Maggie's voice and attitude is me, hmm, I think. I, I really do. Um, because, first of all, I'm from the Boston area. The piece is set in Boston, right. and if Maggie isn't me, let's qualify that, <laughs> right. then she is an amalgam of the attitude of everybody I grew up with, worked with, spent time with in right. Boston. There is a sarcasm in Boston that is like no other place <laughs> in the country, right? or perhaps the world. Yeah. It's a very specific kind of attitude that is there in that city. You've lived there yourself. Absolutely. So I think you know what I'm talking about. Of course. <laughs> it's, it's a kind of, uh, um, it's not really that don't F with me New Yorker attitude. Mm -hmm. It's just like, uh, yeah, I'm here. So what? Right. You know? Yeah. And she's a pretty beat down character. Whenever you created yes. this, were you in any way, like, was, was that your voice at the time? This was sort of a beat down character in the city? Where, where were you, like, mentally whenever you wrote it? Wow, that's a good question, and that could very well be. Yeah. I wasn't aware of it, I bet, when I wrote it. Sometimes your unconscious of course, yeah. comes out that's in your writing. That's what I was writing. wondering, was like, did you know you were infusing yourself in, into it? You know, I don't think I did. Yeah, That's a really fair and interesting question. But yeah, of course, I think anybody who's trying to be an artist in a big city is going to carry through that beaten down right. feeling. So yeah, mm -hmm. maybe Maggie was my response to that. Yeah. It was originally uh, published uh, as a uh, novella, right. serialized novella in a uh, arts magazine in Boston over nine installments. Do you consider once we transformed it to a radio play, do you think it, 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 it went a little bit noir? Like, would you call this like a noir piece? Oh, very much, yes. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it, it is a detective story, but I think that the way that it has that first-person monologue and kind of like zippy characters and everything, I think it does fall into that noir genre. It's very much rooted in noir with, you know, those sort of uh, familial, I'll say, touches. It's not like mm -hmm. her, her family... Her family does figure in, but that's later down in right, the series. Yeah. But, you know, she shares a building with three old guys. Right. And, and, a, and that's sort of like a vintage feeling. You yeah, know? yeah, it's, yeah. It's sort of vintage meets noir. That's great. Well, this is a great mystery, and, and Maggie Dunn is going to be on a great mission in this one. But we, let's also talk about the, the vocal performance we hear in this from the wonderful Leanne Matusak. Low voice range, really beautiful when, in her performance of this. Yeah, she really uh, did a really good Good job of finding that and she's not from Boston if I no. recall correctly yeah she found that attitude she got the attitude yeah she really got which it, is so. completely opposite of Leanne if you know Leanne she's the sweetest like you know woman of all time but and that's like, acting isn't it I gave is. her a chance yeah <laughs> to to have her inner sarcastic voice absolutely come out. and she's surrounded by like a really large new frequency cast in this one I think there was something like 14 people yeah. in this one and they're all really wonderful in and out of her life and kind of really taking you into this world at least I couldn't get jealous that I didn't play Maggie <laughs> that's right that's right she channeled you <laughs> young james in boston <laughs> i hope that wasn't too confessional out there everybody <laughs> all right let's let everybody enjoy this one at home james thank you for introducing it sure with thing. me enjoy this one the first episode of the maggie dunn mysteries 
New frequency, a theater of the mind on the air. On the air. In three. It's coming. Pretty clever. In two. Overcome by a dreadful, dreadful, dreadful production. In one. New frequency. It's like nothing I have ever experienced. Calling all freaks. This piece is one of our new serials. It's called The Maggie Dunn Mysteries. This is episode one, Plea from a Dead Silhouette. But I can tell what kind of man I'm dealing with and often do by asking one simple question. Gilligan's Island. You a ginger man or a Marianne man? Hey, let's face it, they're bound to be one or the other. Now, Marianne man, I take the case no problem. Anyone decent enough to appreciate the earthy beauty of Don Wells is going to be a great client. On top of paying you on time, he'll probably tell you you're doing a great job. Now, ginger man, I take the case too, but I double my usual fee. The guy's probably going to want to take you to Vegas on a whim and ask you to be his good luck charm at the crap tables. Or he's going to expect that the fee he pays you is strictly leave it on the dresser material. <laughs> Either way, I've got to make that glamour girl crud worth my while, so up go the fees. If any one of them has noticed up till now, they haven't complained. I don't usually head into the office this early in the morning, but as of today, I'll be living there. Me and a few artists finally got kicked out of the last available piece of rent-stabilized real estate in Boston. I got the $1,000 kiss-off check in my purse and two suitcases stuffed full with the detritus of my life. <sighs> Here's my bus. As I get on, a college freshman decides to be gallant. Need help with those suitcases, ma'am? Thanks. I got it. Sometime in the past year, I went from miss to ma'am. Depressing. I decide to stand hoping nobody offers the old lady a seat. And before long, we're at my stop. Lansdowne Street! This time, as I'm getting off the bus, another gentleman offends me without knowing it. Hey, lady, need help with those bags? Thanks. I got it. Lady. Jeez. Oh, it's a half block to my office, a three-story walk-up I share with the city's other anachronisms. On the first floor, I lug my suitcases past the old-time barber shop. Inside is Aaron, a sweet-faced guy in his 70s, trimming the few remaining hairs off of one of the equally ancient regulars. Hey, Maggie! Oh, ouch! Watch it with those scissors, Aaron! What? This is our Maggie. Oh, what's the matter? Here, let me help you with the suitcase. No, I got it, Aaron. Hey, I think I better go before your customer loses his other ear. Uh, he'll live, God oh, willing. But, Maggie, what happened? I got evicted. Oh, what a shame. Yeah. Anything I can do, Maggie, anything at all. No, maybe you could go over and kick the cast of friends out of my building. <laughs> sure, anytime, Maggie. Yeah. Hey, Aaron, how about cutting some hair, huh? you, 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 shut up, you. I'll see you later, Aaron. Okay, Maggie. Oh, I drag my suitcases down the hall to the staircase and head up to the second floor. I'm not even on the landing when I can hear Sidney's velvety voice oozing from inside his custom jewelry store. Ah, perfection. Mm. Madam, on everyone else that ring has been a mere rock. But on you, it becomes a gem. Oh, Sidney, darling. <laughs> Sidney had a steady clientele of fur-draped old ladies. He did pretty well. 
I lean into his office. Morning, Sydney. Good morning, Maggie. Will you look at you? Yeah. Let me help you with those cases. Ain't no way, Sydney. No sense depriving your customer of all your smooth lines. Oh, listen to the smart mouth on her. Fine, fine. Don't hurt yourself with those bags. I won't. I promise. Now, working my way up to the third floor is always an adventure. The office next to mine is a casting agency. Yeah, there's usually some kind of crazy wannabe parked outside. But where are the clowns? And today is no exception. There's an actress outside preparing, and if I know Elmer, the pudgy powerhouse who runs the place, this will not sit well with him. Isn't it rich? Don't you approve? Howdy, Elmer. Maggie Dunn. Mm. You look a wreck. Oh, gee, thanks, Elmer. I see you're still treating your clients with those kid gloves. Oh, listen, that broad's been butchering Sondheim for 20 minutes. <laughs> trying to book her on a cruise ship. Mm. Can you imagine being stuck in the middle of the ocean with that? <laughs> mm. So, I guess from the suitcases, your eviction went through? Yes, it did. Well, then, welcome to your new home. Mm. And let me take those bags. No, I got it, Elmer. Ah, the hell you do. Give me them. Okay, then, thanks. Hey, who's the other guy there with the bow tie and the dummy? Oh, that's my ventriloquist, Richie Boing Boing in Google Eyes. (laughs) Hey, Google Eyes! Say hello to Maggie Dunn. Hey, sugar. Wish I had a swing like that in my backyard. <laughs> I saw his lips move. You saw my lips move? Oh, she did not. She said, my lips, come on, I'm the best you got. I was kidding, Richie. She was kidding, Richie. You're the best. <laughs> come on, Max. Let's get you settled in. Okay. Hmm. Here we are. Yeah. Any place special with these bags, Maggie? Hmm, let's see. The floor? <laughs> okay. Sure thing. Oh, Maggie, you okay, Maggie? Oh, yeah. I think all I can manage right now is just staring out the window for a while. Mm, I hear you. Yeah. Well, holler if you need anything. We'll do. But where are all the Jeez, oh, there she goes again. Hey! What did I tell you? <laughs> See you later, Maggie. So I stared out the window for God knows how long. I know it was long enough for things to get quiet over at Elmer's casting agency. I looked at the Sitco sign, which I can see from my window. Boston's one concession to razzmatazz, unlit and dormant in the daytime. (laughs) On the street below, a trio of young college girls were walking arm in arm, laughing at a private joke. (laughs) Yeah. Maggie, you sure you're okay? You're right where I left you an hour ago. Elmer, you know, I was just thinking. Do you think the family that adopted Abby ever, you know, talked to her about me? Jeez, oh, I don't know, Maggie. Why, why you want to talk about stuff like that? I didn't even know you then, so it don't make no difference to me. Yeah, you know, you're right, Elmer. Why do I want to talk about stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to have some Zambuca instead. Yeah. Hey, you want to join me? Jeez, Maggie, you know I hate that stuff. Mm-mm-mm. Anyway, I got to go. Where you got to go? Lunch. Some friggin' comedian. Mm. (laughs) Have fun, Elmer. I think for a moment about Elmer's life. 
Lunch with a comedian. I could sure use that right now. But the phone rings, and I'm grateful for something to do. Maggie Dunn. Miss Dunn? As far as I know, who's this? Uh, it's, it's Conrad Miller. Conrad, uh, help me out here. Uh, you, you said I was your only client at the, at the moment? Yes, yes, I'm sure you are. But I'm having a funky kind of day. Uh, what were you, a ginger or Marianne? I, I believe we, we established that I was a uh, Marianne. Ah, okay, no, good man, I've got you now. I'm watching your cousin, the one you think is stealing from your store. Yeah, uh, today he told me he was doing his laundry this evening, and uh, well, maybe you could find out where else he's going. He, he uses the laundromat over on Westland Avenue. Hey, I'm on it, Conrad. Now I'll just get up, stub out my cigarette in the ashtray, and uh, go be a proper gumshoe. What? What? <laughs> Never mind, Conrad. You know, the thing is, I don't smoke. Can you imagine a non-smoking private eye? <laughs> uh, I, I guess so. <laughs> God love you, Conrad. The night came quickly. It was time for me to earn my keep. trusty pair of Jack Purcells. He's the only man I would ever let me help stand on my own two feet. I tried letting that happen once before, around 20 years ago. There's Mrs. Peterson then, and I got nothing to show for it. <laughs> nothing I can keep, anyway, except maybe a big gash somewhere inside of my heart. I sure as hell ain't gonna poke around in there just to put a Band-Aid on the damn thing. I'm energized by the evening air. I walk through Kenmore Square and think about the new hotel that's going in where there used to be a dozen small businesses. What happened to all those small lives? Ah, cut it out, Maggie. Staring out of windows, grabbing at hopes that don't amount to anything but air. <sighs> These moods are dangerous in your line of work, especially if you like to think we're put here for a reason. Look for reasons in the cases I take. <laughs> You'll have enough unanswered questions to start a religion. Now I get to the laundromat on Westland and I wait for Conrad's cousin to show up. And when he does, I see a rectangular kid with a nondescript face. His clothing looks like somebody threw it at him and it just missed landing right. He drops a duffel full of grubby material into a front loader and takes off, so I follow him. I tail Dwight to a building around the corner on the fence. Hanging back, I see the entry door has a slow hydraulic hinge. I make a mad dash and catch it just before it closes, allowing me to hustle in. Now the elevator seems to be working, but Dwight, he takes the stairs. Damn, but stairs are a fact of life in my line of work, and he bounds up eight flights of them. My calves ache as I wait on the back landing and watch Dwight to enter a far apartment. And then, I slowly step up to the closed door to start earning my pay. I listen. It's not much money, baby, but I have to take her from the store in little bits. My cousin Conrad, he's on to me. I just know it. I hear a strange tapping sound as a female voice answers Dwight. Thanks, Dwight, honey. This'll keep him happy. Screw him. Dwight, don't say that. We're lucky he's being reasonable. <laughs> Look, who is this guy, Francine? I told you, he's a friend. I'm scraping a hundred a week out of my cousin's till for this friend of yours. It's just a token. He's testing you. I'll kick his ass. Shut up, Dwight. You don't even know what you're talking about. Why can't you just talk to him? People in his business live by a code. He's doing the guy thing with you, that's all. <laughs> he's very protective of me. He just wants to make sure you're serious about us. You know I'm serious, Francine. I've come all this way with you. I make sure nobody knows where you are. Well, he found us, didn't he? Right. 
And he's being so reasonable with us. Aw, you're jealous, aren't you? You're so cute when you're jealous. <laughs> I love you. But this is the last time this guy gets money from us, I swear to God. Oh, Dwight. And my concentration is broken by the approaching sound of squeaking wheels. I turn to see them attached to a mop and bucket, being pushed by a guy about as thin as his mop handle. I try to step away from Dwight and Francine's door as he approaches. Hey, you. What? What's your problem? I'm the super of this building, and I got a problem with you. I'm just canvassing. You know, door to door, for animal rights. Come on, you don't even have a clipboard or nothing. Who let you in? Did Francine let you in? Nobody's supposed to buzz anybody into this building unless they know them. Fifty million supers in Boston. I have to find the one who actually gives a damn. Hey, hey give me a break, will you? You stay right there. Hey, Francine! Francine! He calls out to the doorway I just spied on. I try to look inconspicuous. What's the matter, Nikki? Did you let this one into the building? No. Hey, stay there, Marcel. Stay. Francine keeps her cat inside by slamming down her crutch. So it was crutches making the tapping sound. Well, she's a cute girl, probably 19, dyed black hair and fashionably torn clothing. I try to reason with her. Uh, listen, Francine, will you tell him to let me go? Yeah, I'm just canvassing, for God's sake. What for? Animal rights. Cool. Where do I sign? Ah, uh, come on, Francine. Look, she ain't got a clipboard or nothing. Hey, what's going on out here? Everything okay, Then Nikki? Dwight appears in the doorway, and I turn away as fast as I can. Uh, I don't know, Dwight. I think something's up here. Damn, I've been followed. Dwight put it together pretty fast, so now I had only one option. Run like hell. I push past Nikki. Hey, hey, hey! I make it to the stairwell maybe 20 paces ahead of Dwight. Hold it! Hold it right and there! In the stairwell, I can hear his massive footballs above me closing in. He calls out, taunting me. Who sent you, lady? I'll freaking mess you up! Again with the lady. Oh, damn. Where am I? Okay, second floor now. First floor. I hit the landing. Push open the front door. I hit the street. Only seconds to act. I want him to see me as I turn the corner onto Westland. I think he can. I hide in the first doorway I see long enough to let him barrel past me thinking I'm somewhere ahead. Then I pull in the other direction, turn the corner again, and dive into the bushes in front of a building on the fence. Dwight reappears only inches from me. He looks both ways. Damn. Then he takes off in the other direction, away from me, toward the Victory Gardens and Park Drive. I watch him go. My heart is pounding. I feel very lucky to be alive. sleeping in my office. Think about what's happened. What did I know? I was now living in the office building I shared with three older men. A man named Conrad paid me to watch his cousin Dwight. I find that Dwight is stealing from Conrad and using the money to pay off someone for his girlfriend who's in hiding. <sighs> Finally, I managed to doze off. Half asleep. Maybe the sound was part of my dream. I'm exhausted. It doesn't intrude on my consciousness enough to wake me. Then another sound. And when I first hear it, it also seems located somewhere in my dream. Mrs. Peterson. Mrs. Peterson. I'm dreaming. I must be dreaming. He's calling me Mrs. Peterson, like the way he used to when we were first in love. Mrs. Peterson. But I'm waking up now, and it's not my ex-husband. It's a voice I've never heard before, and it's coming from the other side of my office door. 
where a large man stands in silhouette against the frosted glass. Mrs. Peterson, I, I, I need your help. Hey, you know, I don't like this, pal. Nobody's called me that in 20 years. Open the door. Hey, what are you playing at, mister? Please. Aw, oh, damn it. Miss, Mrs. Peterson, I... I oh, the uh, heavy, imposing man staggers towards me as though drunk, but there is no liquor on his breath. Uh, he sinks to the floor, holding his gut. His hand, his shirt, they're both soaked in blood. Oh, God. Hey, mister. Mister. But he wasn't talking anymore. I fly down the three flights of stairs to the street. I had heard that gunshot after all, and whoever shot this guy had done it just moments ago. Now the streets are quiet. What is it, midnight? A bicycle buzzes past. I can just see a late evening green line trolley descending into the Kenmore Tunnel. And across a median strip, a commercial van looks like a refrigeration truck. Then a taxi cab drives up the road, and... And that's all. I run back upstairs to my office. The big guy is lying there, inert. Oh, he has a sweet face. I don't know why, but I touch his cheek. Hey, who the hell are you? How did you know my old married name, huh? Now, if you don't mind if I fish around in your pockets a little. Nice jacket. Oh, and here's a nice wallet. Okay, maybe I'll find something in here. Oh, first I should wipe this blood off my fingers. So listen, my friend, suppose I should ask you, are you a ginger man or a Marianne man? But he was neither, not anymore. The big guy lying on my floor was now a dead man, and that was infinitely more trouble. Or less trouble, I suppose, depending on how you feel about men. been listening to episode one plea from a dead silhouette a maggie dunn mystery join us for episode two when an old friend of maggie's lieutenant paul alberico reappears in her life so lieutenant you still carrying a torch for your ex-wife or uh, do i have a shot (laughs) (laughs) nothing like a homicide investigation to bring out your best side maggie yeah yeah does this mean you're only here on business let's go over this again all right? right Some big guy you never seen before, he knocks on the door and then he croaks. Is that it? That's the thumbnail, yeah. <laughs> well, you specialize in thumbnails, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> Signing off in three, two, one.